We live in a world where uh, symbols on a smartphone uh, pass for expressions of genuine affection and emotion. Uh, I was just thinking, if Psalm 126 were written today, uh, it might look something like this. Can you put that slide up? There you go. So, um, uh, 126, uh, when the Lord uh, brought back the captives to Zion, they were like those who dreamed. Their mouths were full of laughter and songs. So there's Psalm 126 for you that live by emojis. But emojis can't even begin to capture the emotion that is expressed in this psalm. Because it is a, a psalm where we meet real life people experiencing and expressing powerful emotions across a, a wide spectrum from uh, devastation to deliverance from laughing to crying, from songs of joy to prayers of desperation. And it's one of the reasons uh, we love the Psalms so much, isn't it? They are just so human, aren't they? They are just so real. They are just so emotionally genuine. Uh, the psalmists aren't trying to put on a, a good face about, uh, about life. Uh, and because of that, they're relatable in every age, and they're certainly relatable to us as 21st century American Christians, uh, even though they were written 2,500 or so years ago. So if I had to sum up Psalm 126, I would sum it up this way. Through all the highs and lows of life, the one constant for every single Christian is, is this. The Lord has done and will do great things for you, for us, so that we can be filled with joy. Let's read together God's precious, holy, perfect words. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Father, I pray that um, you would use this psalm full of, of real emotions to connect with every single person here today. 
whether their primary thought is, the Lord's done great things for me, and, or whether their, their primary thought in this season of life is, is, is one where they need their fortunes restored and they're looking to the Lord with, with tears. But no matter where they are, it doesn't matter because you can meet them here today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, two real simple parts of the psalm, uh, past deliverance and present need. And so first, past deliverance in, in verses one through three. Uh, this is a psalm that is deeply rooted in Israel's history. Uh, most everyone believes that this is a psalm uh, that was written uh, upon Israel's return uh, from exile uh, in captivity in Babylon because of their persistent, unrepentant sin, particularly their sin of idolatry. Uh, and the experience uh, of that exile was devastating. That the Babylonians came in and they tore down the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, they burnt the houses that people lived in. Even worse, they burnt and, and destroyed and and tore down the temple, uh, stealing anything in the temple that was worth uh, stealing. And then uh, a vast majority of the people were taken into exile in Babylon where they just lived a miserable and difficult life and thinking, we will never see our homeland again. We will never see God's city, Zion, Jerusalem. We will never see it again. Uh, it's expressed in another psalm, Psalm 137, where the psalmist writes, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. But then something absolutely astounding happened. Something absolutely stunning happened. The Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Or as Niv says, he brought back the captives to Zion. And, and when that happened, uh, the writer of the Psalms said, we, we were like those who, who dreamed. You know, you, have you ever had a dream and, and you wake up and you, was that real? Am I still dreaming? You know, what? You, you just can't, can't quite bring it about. The experience to them was so surreal that it, it was like they were dreaming. You know, they, they said, wait a minute, this, this cannot possibly uh, be true. I'm going to wake up and find that this was all a dream and we're still in Babylon and, and, and we haven't been brought back to Zion. Things, things like this just don't happen in life. And then all of a sudden they realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. We are not dreaming. This this impossibly good and happy thing is actually happening. It's actually taking place. The Lord has brought us back from our captivity to Zion. William Plummer in his commentary on the Psalm says it this way. So deeply had the iron gone into their souls, so insolent and cruel had their oppressors become and so little were appearances in their favor 
that when God broke their bondage and set them free, the Israelites knew not how to credit the announcement. They were incredulous. The news was too good to be believed. But, but when they finally realize, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not dreaming. The Lord has really restored our fortunes. When they feel, finally realize that, verse 2, their mouths were full of laughter. And their tongues with shouts, or some versions say, songs of joy. In other words, when they finally, you know, pinch me. I'm not dreaming. They couldn't stop laughing. They couldn't stop singing. They couldn't stop shouting. They couldn't contain the joy, the emotion that was theirs because of this unbelievably stunning, astonishing thing that God had done uh, for them. Uh, it's like there's <laughs> to one another. Can, 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 you, can you believe this? Um, Pinch me, I'm no, I'm, I'm awake. The Lord has restored our fortunes. Charles Spurgeon says, the mercy was so unexpected, so amazing, so singular, that they could not do less than laugh. And they laughed much, so that their mouths were full of it. And that's because their hearts were full too. When at last the tongue could not move articulately, it could not be content simply to talk, but it must needs sing, and sing heartily too, for it was full of singing. And then verse two is an amazing ending in the second part. Then they said among the nations that God had done great things for them. So the they here is the citizens of the surrounding nations, uh, including probably Babylon, that, that would have been aware of what had happened to Jerusalem. Uh, they hadn't failed to notice the destruction of Jerusalem. They hadn't failed to notice the destruction of the temple. They hadn't failed to notice uh, the exile. And their only conclusion in their worldview that they could possibly come to was this. Man, this God of Israel must be pretty weak if he could allow that to happen to his temple. If that could happen to his city. If that could, if that could happen to his people. So when this happened, they couldn't help but notice that as well. Uh, for Israel's fortunes to be restored was absolutely unheard of. And it was so great, it was so unusual that, that even the nations had to admit, you know, our initial judgment was completely, was completely wrong, it was completely off. Uh, the God of Israel is like any, uh, unlike any other God in the history of the world. This restoration bore testimony even to the nations of the uniqueness and the greatness of the God of Israel. And it's not just the nations, the nation of Israel concurs. The Lord has done great things for us. 
Now, please note what the psalmist didn't say. He didn't say, our fortunes have been restored. He didn't say good things have happened to us, as if somehow fate or chance or some impersonal force was at work causing these things to happen. The only way to account for what had happened to them was the sovereign work of the Lord. That the restoration of fortunes that they experienced wasn't anything that a human being or man could have brought about. Only the Lord could have brought it about. And then at the end of verse 3, always makes me chuckle a bit. All of the, the Lord has done great things for us. And we're glad. The English word just doesn't capture the, the original language of the Psalms. Uh, that's why I like the Nives translation. The Lord has done great things and we are filled with joy. They are delirious with joy. They are rapturous with joy. They are euphoric with, with, with joy. Not simply glad. Um, Spurgeon says, when Jehovah appeared, he did not merely lift us out of despondency. He raised us into, and I love this phrase, he raised us into wondering happiness. Wondering uh, happiness that, that, how, what, how, God, uh, he raised us into wondering happiness. Now, this is a good time to stop just for a moment and ask, what about us? What about you and I? What about 21st century Christians? You know, we can sometimes read this, these historic psalms and, and, and be happy for them, but undiscerning that it actually has anything to do with any of us. But every single Christian here this morning, every single one of us, has much in common with the experiences of these Israelites. Because if you're a Christian, the Lord has done great things for you. And the most natural response to that is to be filled with joy. Um, because the devastations that Israel experienced, as great as they were, are nothing in comparison to the devastations of our sin, to the devastation that sin brings into our lives, lives of every single human being every single day. It's what Paul speaks of in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But then the Lord, the very same Lord who would have been completely justified in sending us to hell forever. The Lord did great things for you and me and for us. Because Ephesians 2 goes on in verse 4, but God, 
And those, those two words just, just contain this, this, this terrible trajectory that each and every one of us were on, but God. It, it, it's like, it's why the Israelites weren't, uh, but our fortunes have been, no, it was, but God has done great things for us. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The Lord has done, brothers and sisters, the Lord has done great things for us. He, he died for our sins. The very heart of Christianity is his, his substitutionary sacrifice that he hung on that cross for sinners. He, he took the punishment of sin so that we could be forgiven our sins. And not only that, but he did great things for us, for you, for me, uh, when he rose from the dead. The joy that we experience only multiplies when we begin to understand the depth of the great things that he has done for us. All, all, all of your sins have been forgiven. Not just your past sins, not just the sins you committed already today, but your future sins. All of your sins have been forgiven. And you have been credited with the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Uh, and thus, you are accepted before God, not on the basis of your performance, what you do or you don't do, not on the basis of any merit that you have, because you don't have any, but purely on the basis of Jesus' merit, Jesus' performance. You're credited with his perfect righteousness. God treats you in accordance with his perfect righteousness. And it's not just that. You have the ability to walk in newness of life, uh, a new life that he actually shepherds you through, that, that he guides you, he provides for you, he protects you in his kindness and love. He even corrects you when, when, when you go astray. And he does all of those things faithfully. He's promised, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. And then in the end, you get to spend eternity with him, finally free from all of the effects uh, that sin has brought into this life. Um, th this is where this psalm, these three verses are so important for us. Because if we don't constantly remember these things, if, if we don't constantly celebrate the great things of the gospel, your joy will slowly but surely diminish over time, much to your detriment. Um, now, listen, the joy doesn't have the same emotional exuberance in everyone. Uh, joy can be something that's just very deep and very settled, but, but it's no less joy. And it's a joy that can never be touched by any circumstance in life because it's a joy that's rooted in the realities of heaven. It's a joy that's rooted in the realities of the great things that God has done for you, for us. Again, William Plummer says, how can the poor sinner saved by grace, snatched as a brand from the eternal burning, never cease to celebrate 
the amazing love of God and the wonders that he has wrought. Oh, Living Hope Church, may you as individuals never cease to celebrate the gospel. And may you as a local church never cease to celebrate the gospel. So this psalm celebrates their past deliverance, but then in verses four through six, it talks about present need. Uh, Psalm four, when I read this, were you a bit surprised by it? Um, They talk about the Lord has done great things for us. We're filled with joy and the nations know about it. And then restore our fortunes. And you you think, wait a minute. Your, Your fortunes were already restored. You know, did some scribe copying this a long time ago, you know, flip were verses four through six actually first, and then verses one through three, did, did they come later? In other words, uh, were they, are we, singing these in the wrong order? The context, when Israel returned to Jerusalem, however, they returned to a devastated city. You all just studied Ezra and Nehemiah. You understand that when they came back, their struggles weren't over. The prophets Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi spoke to these things. And so the Lord had restored their fortunes. He had unbelievably brought them back, but he didn't bring them back to a trouble-free life. He brought them back uh, to um, a, a temple that was destroyed, a city that was destroyed, the walls were down, so they, they were vulnerable to all of their enemies that might want to come against us. And so they finished the psalm appropriately with a prayer and then a promise from God. First of all, a prayer for their fortunes to be restored. In other words, for God to continue the work of restoring the fortunes now that they're back in the promised lands. Uh, and restore them like the streams in the Negev. Now, we're probably not familiar with the Negev. Uh, it, was, it was this dry and barren place. Uh, one person said about it, described it this way, parched, barren, hot, and comfortless. But when it did rain, even a little bit, these, these streams would, would flow down from the mountains like, like rivers. Um, they would have experienced one of those irritating, do you get these in Arkansas flash flood warnings where you're peacefully watching a game on TV and all of a sudden this, and, and you know, across the screen, flash flood warning in Fayetteville, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's what it would have been like in the Negev. So it rains a little bit and it's like this overflowing uh, response to, of nature to a, to a, to a little stream. Um, in other words, they're praying that, that God would suddenly and powerfully unleash his blessings on them. Lord, restore our fortunes suddenly and powerfully like streams in the, in the Negev. And then uh, a promise Those who sow in tears shall reap with joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with him. Now, 
Tears and weeping here doesn't necessarily speak to actual tears uh, and weeping, but it speaks to those who are willing to face and persevere in the face of hardships. That even in the face of hardships, even in the face of the difficult task of rebuilding a city and rebuilding a temple and rebuilding their houses and rebuilding a, 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 a life in, in the face of their enemies, even, even in the face of that, uh, they, they persevere. Uh, there remained many hardships for them, for that restored generation. But the promise of God is if you persevere, there'll be a harvest in the end. If you persevere, you will, you will bring in the sheaves in the end. And again, there's, there's great relevance to us here. Uh, the psalm captures a reality of the Christian life that if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, uh, you, you realize. But if it's not properly understood, uh, we'll be a joy robber. And that reality is this. God never promises us a trouble-free life when we, when we become Christians. He doesn't promise that all your troubles are over now and, uh, and you'll, the, your life will become easy. I don't know why, but I always think of this song from the 60s, I beg your pardon, I didn't promise you a rose garden. And, and that's exactly what, uh, what, what God did. Um, when you become a Christian, once your fortunes have been restored in the most important way they could possibly ever be restored by receiving God's unmerited and lavish forgiveness for you, once that happens, um, you've changed in certain ways. But the world around you hasn't changed. And your circumstances often don't change. And, and there's a lot of ways that you haven't changed. Uh, two weeks after I got saved, I got fired from my job and I had zero prospects. And James and my marriage wasn't in a good place at all. And then all my historic sins, uh, particularly my arrogance and my selfishness and my laziness, they just kept following me around, you know, they, they, were, all, they were all with me. There, there was a lot of work to do. Uh, even 45 years later, there's still a lot, of, a lot of work to do. So what do we do as a Christian, given the fact that uh, we can thank God and be filled with joy for the great things that he has done for us? What do we do recognizing that we've, we've entered in to this life of Christian discipleship that, that, that is difficult because we battle sin and we live in a fallen world and there's, there's troubles and there's difficulties um, uh, along the way. So what are Christians to do? Well, we're, we're to do exactly what they did in the psalm. We're to pray and we're to labor. We're to pray and work. Um, Past deliverance never mitigates the need for present help, does it? But it does inspire faith for, for, for present help. Uh, Leslie Allen says, uh, as he has reversed a calamitous past, 
he could be relied upon to reserve a painful present. Uh, Derek Kidner says, miracles of the past, it bids us treat as measures of the future. Uh, I remember uh, when uh, difficulties with uh, sovereign grace uh, were going on and I was right in the midst of them. Uh, somebody sent me a quote that I probably thought about every day from Charles Spurgeon. He said, how can you think that the God who has rescued you these six times won't rescue you the seventh? Um, and, 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 and yeah, that, that's, 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 what, that's what inspires faith for us to pray uh, in these ways. Uh, I love Romans 8.32. Uh, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How can we not along with him, uh, how, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So as we face the, the inevitable hardships and difficulties of life as a Christian, life, life in a fallen world, we can pray with genuine faith and, and, and are looking back upon God's deliverances, are looking back upon all the great things that he's done for us. They become the fuel for our faith uh, to pray for his, his deliverances in, 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 in the future. And so we, we must pray, but we must also work. We must also labor. Uh, aren't you glad that sometimes God just, God just gives a sudden gift from heaven like streams in the Negev? Aren't, aren't you glad that sometimes, that not everything is a struggle, not everything takes a long time. Um, aren't you glad that sometimes it's like streams in the Negev? All of a sudden, God just bursts in with his sudden and, and, and lavish and overwhelming grace. Praise God for those moments, but uh, most often the way it works is we're to work. Because God is not, God just doesn't want us to be free from troubles. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be like his son. And the troubles and the struggles are one of the main ways he uses to work his goal in our lives, to work together for our eternal good in, in our lives, to give us the happiest possible heaven instead of the easiest possible earth. So, so we labor and um, sowing and reaping are a powerful principle in scripture. Um, Galatians 4 uh, features a lot of the same elements as Psalm 126. In Galatians uh, 6, I'm sorry, Galatians 6, 7 through 10, Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap from the flesh, from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, praise God, we didn't reap what we sowed because of our sin, because Jesus reaped what we sowed. 
But what Paul is expressing here is this principle of reaping and sowing as we continue to uh, live our, our Christian life, as we continue to battle in ongoing uh, indwelling sin, uh, and as we're, continue, as we're called to mission. Uh, notice it's both mission to the people of God, the household of faith, but it's also mission out to the world. It's to everyone. Uh, and so, uh, like I said, Galatians 6 features a lot of what 126 does. Um, we struggle in the sense of, of being willing to in, engage in the work and persevere and, and reap those rewards and to do this whole process with shouts of joy and to do this whole process with, with songs of joy. And uh, there's one more wonderful, glorious thing here, isn't there? Uh, the joy isn't limited to the start and the finish. You know, when they, the Lord did that great thing of delivering them or saving us, uh, are full of joy. And then when the harvest comes, we're full of joy. But you know, in between, it's just miserable. It's just a really hard life. No, um, it's not miserable. It's, it's consistently, we can experience joy throughout the process. James 1 even says, count it all joy, my brothers, even when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, we're going to do a song. Are we going to do a song? Oh, okay, y'all can come up. One last thing. Um, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, thanks for being here. We're just so grateful that, uh, that, that you would come here this morning. And you know, maybe you're here and you're longing for joy. Um, but you just can't seem to find it. You know, it's not in, in stuff. It's not in security, having a good job or a lot of money in the bank. Uh, it's not in relationships. You thought, oh, these will just be fulfilling. It's not in health. Uh, it's not in the common ways that people escape, like with sex and with drugs and with alcohol um, and other things. Real Real joy, genuine joy, lasting joy, it's found only in Jesus. Now, if you're like me, when, when I got saved, I was happy. I didn't, I didn't feel like I needed anything, how kind of God to break in. That might be you here today, but let me tell you, e even if you're in that place, Jesus has a life that is so much better than anything you could ever imagine. And, and, and if you would just put your trust fully in what he has done to save you from your sins by dying on that cross and rising from the dead, and if you'd be willing to repent and turn away from your sins and follow him the rest of your life, promise for today is that he would save you and you could experience the greatest joy that you will ever experience in your life. And you would leave here today or hopefully soon saying, the Lord has done great things for me and I am full of joy. Amen.